we're trying to understand in this series, um, like, where is God at work? Right? When we're at work, in the good, the bad, and the ugly, where is God? Um, and we've seen, uh, just to start us off with review, um, God made you to work so that you can play six roles. Um, first, your role is provider. A uh, provider sees dignity in a paycheck, right? That God provides by giving you the strength to work so that you can provide for yourself, your family, your church, and others. Um, the artist, the artist cares about doing the work itself with excellence and integrity. God is your boss. God deserves integrity and excellence, and your work is a reflection on God. Um, and then a missionary cares both about the work and the people, that you represent God to others in the workplace. A community servant we saw last week cares for the city through your work, right? You care for God's world through the work that you do. And then today, today we're going to be looking at that work makes you an image of God, an image of God, that our work isn't just a reflection on God, but it's a reflection of God. Okay, let me just sort of single these two things out. At level two at the artist, your work is a reflection on God. The quality of your work, the integrity of your work will say something about the God that you say you believe in. If you do bad work, people will have disrespect for Jesus. If you do great work, they'll have respect for Jesus. So your work is a reflection on God. But at this level, at this role as an image of God, your work is a reflection of God. It's a reflection of God. And so first blank there, if you want to take notes in your bulletin, Made in God's image means your work is a chance to commune with God. Okay, being made in God's image means that your work is an opportunity. It's a chance for you to commune with God. Uh, Said more simply, work is communion. Work is communion. Some of you are thinking, you are crazy, Stephen. When I think about communion, I think about the Lord's table, and what happens here is nothing at all like what happens out there. Um, Well, hold on. In fact, this idea that our work images God, this is actually what got me started personally in pursuing a biblical understanding of work. It was this idea that took hold in my heart and has caused me to think more and more deeply and to look at all that the Bible has to say. And so I hope it's inspiring for you um, as we go through this. Um, But this is God's design, okay? God designed work so that you would meet him in your work. God wants you to be spending time with him in your work. And so we're going to look today at this role that we play as the image of God Um, And as always, we're going to be looking at this idea of work as communion or being made in God's image um, or our work as the image of God. We're going to look at this through the four-layer story of the gospel. Okay, all the truths from Scripture needs to pass through these four layers so that we can know how to apply it to our lives. Okay, now, these four layers, we've seen them every single week. We're going to see them again, but we're going to look at them through this new lens. I want these gospel layers so deep inside of you that you would instinctively react to your work life the way that God does. If you can understand the four layers of of the gospel story, if you can get the gospel so deep in your heart, you will be able to instinctively react to situations in your workplace the way that God does. That's exciting. That's exciting. Think about it. How does God respond to sin and the fall? 
Well, that's how I want you to respond. Right? I want you to be able to respond to the bad and the ugly in your workplace the way that God does. And so this is how we apply the gospel at work. This is how we commune with God in the workplace, whether you're, again, your workplace is an office, a job site, or in the home. And so let's look first at creation. From creation, we see that God created work for communion. God created work for communion. Okay, in the very beginning, um, God has been super active. From the beginning, God has been active. He created. God maintained what he created. God made human beings then to work so that we would join him in his work. Okay? In the ancient world, typically, you didn't have a choice of what you did as you grew up. You were just going to do whatever your parents did. Right? You would grow up learning a craft, learning a trade, learning to farm, learning to shepherd, learning to whatever. Um, if your mom sewed, you sewed, and you sold what your mom sewed. I mean, this is just how it was, this apprentice sort of uh, world. Well, in the same way, God made us in his image meaning that we are his sons and daughters, so that we would join him in the family business. And what we do is part of being made in his image. Okay, look at the verses there in your bulletin. It says Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in the next chapter, Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so there are five verbs in Genesis 1.28. Fruitful, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. And these things show that our work is part of being made in God's image. Okay? Being made in God's image um, doesn't just mean having a soul. It doesn't just mean being able to have a relationship with God in ways that animals can't. It does mean that, but it's not just that. It's not just who you are, but it's what you do. What you do is part of being made in God's image. And so the work of creating families and society, the work to support those families and society, the work of bringing order to the world through care and authority. This is part of what it means to image God. In Genesis 2, working the garden means cause it to flourish. Cause it to teem with life and food and to be a gardener. Keeping the garden is a role of protection. It's a role, uh, it means to guard the garden, to protect it. And you find out in Genesis 3 why the garden needs to be protected. There was this responsibility to communicate what God wanted, to repeat God's ways, to repeat God's laws and his commands, and to encourage everyone on earth to maintain a relationship with God. And so this work isn't just work that's needed on earth, but it reflects the work that God himself does. All of this work is an expression, it's an image. They are imitations of the work that God himself does does. And that's what we're going to see. When we connect our work to God's work, that's how we see how we can commune with God in our work. Okay, and so there's really three ways that you can categorize God's work. Okay, God is creator, a maintainer, and a restorer. Okay, those are the three ways to classify everything that God does. And when you see God at work in these ways, we can begin to see connections between what God does and what we do. And so let me show you 
Um, this is the beginning of a table. Right? This is God at work. He creates, maintains, and restores. And so let's see the first column there. I'm going to run through this quickly, because the point I want you to get at is, oh, this is how we think about God's work. So as creator, God makes things. Okay? He made the world. Um, he inspires ideas. That's a form of creation. He'll give you thoughts. He'll inspire ideas in you. He will teach you things. Um, and then human conception. These are reflections of God as creator. Right? God creates. He makes things. Um, we see Genesis 1, Psalm 129, 1 John 2, 27 illustrate those ideas. But then, not, not just creating, but God didn't just create, sort of wind up the watch and let it go. The Bible also says that God maintains. He keeps things running right. And so God is above. He governs all of life. He um, is responsible for the seasons. Um, Genesis 8, after the flood, God says, I promise that the flood will never come again. Instead, there'll be seed time and harvest, day and night, morning and evening, uh, until the end of creation. Um, and so he produces seasons. And then he also cares and strengthens people. Okay, Colossians 1.17 says that in God we live and move and have our being. That's Acts 17. Colossians 1 says that um, all things hold together uh, by Jesus. That Jesus actually holds all things together. He keeps things running right. And then God also, after the fall, he restores. It means he fixes what's broken. And we see this in the miracle of the new birth. Right? When someone goes from being dead in their sins to being alive to God in Christ Jesus. When someone is born again, that is a restoration. Uh, it's a renewal. Um, God brings order from chaos, right? We actually, you know, he takes things that are broken and he brings order into them. And he gives us power to be free, right? He gives us this freedom. When Jesus reigns, um, we experience this freedom from the power of sin, freedom from the penalty of sin. And so the restoring work of God um, gives us power to be free. And Luke 19, that's the story of Zacchaeus that we've looked at. Um, in our series, Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive. And he raised you up and seated you in the heavenly places in Christ. So God is in the business of taking spiritual corpses and resurrecting them from the dead. And this is God's restoring work. And so what I want you to see then, like, so this is God. This is the works, just some of the places where it talks about God working in these ways. What I want us to then do is I want to see how does our work image this God? Are you with me? So we're going to look at that in two ways. First, our company, first your company, and then your job. And so let's look at us working in his image from a company kind of level, right? What kinds of companies are there in San Diego, in the world, that image God in these ways? Okay, so what kinds of companies make things? Well, biotech companies, big in San Diego, right? They invent new drugs, new procedures, they invent new ways of bringing greater health, right? They invent things, the food industry, so agriculture, um, but not just agriculture, restaurants, um, food, they, they create dishes, right? And these things image God as creator, right? The color, the wonder, the texture, the joy of, of food, right, is a reflection of God. And then education, Right? Education. These are people who are creating new ideas. They're inspiring kids and adults right, to learn new things, right? to give people an education. And then the arts. Right? The arts are, again, an industry that creates. 
uh, both the art that's created, the, the impact and the, the effect that art has on us is a very creative um, kind of work. And, it, and, and so I want you to think not just, oh, hey, like, yeah, these companies work in this way, they do this creation thing, but I want you to realize that every company that images God as creator is actually imaging God as creator. Okay, that's sort of one of the aha moments I want you to have today is that these companies don't just make things, but they imitate the one who made everything from nothing. Okay, they are taking the things that God had made and they are making new things, um, which reflects and imitates God. Okay, then maintain, right? The healthcare industry maintains, right? It keeps our bodies running right, or it's supposed to, right? It's designed to keep things running right. The military, right, keeps order, right? It, it protects us. It makes sure that we can continue to live in safety and in harmony. Um, there are maybe some ways also that um, the military can fix what's broken, but, you know, so some of these can work in multiple categories. Uh, but grocery stores, right, they provide food so that your so that you personally, so that your family can be maintained, to keep things running right. Um, and then the government, right? The government maintains, um, it passes laws that, can, that, that maintain um, health, it maintains a healthy society. Um, and so you get the point. And then restore, right? Again, we're just brainstorming ideas of the different ways that you can classify the kinds of companies that exist. Um, insurance companies fix what's broken, right? Your house burns down, your house floods, God forbid, someone in your family dies, you get in a car accident. The insurance company shows up and writes you a check so that you can fix what's broken, right? Um, recycling, right? The, the, the recycling industry fixes what's broken. It takes things that are old and makes them new. Um, a mechanic fixes what's broken, right? Sometimes a mechanic keeps things running right. So again, these aren't hard and fast categories. Um, therapy, right? The therapy industry fixes what's broken. And then again, government, like I said before. And so what I want you to do, now that I've introduced this idea, is I want you to think for just a second, and I want you to ask yourself, what does my company do? Okay, just think about it for a second and, and fill in the blanks. Okay, so there, my company, you could write creates, maintains, or restores, could be more than one, but my company creates, maintains, restores by, and again, fill in the blank. So in what way does your company image God who creates, maintains, and restores? We'll talk about why this is important here in just a sec. So what we're going to do next, and well, yeah. So let me let's let's go next. Next, we're going to look at specific jobs. Okay, so not just your company, but what do you do in your company? What is it that you? What, what role do you play? Because the same thing. This is us imaging God, right? There are jobs um, that image God. So under the create column, right, that bottom row, leadership is a creative function, right? Leadership, all leadership. Um, creates ways of doing things, sets vision for people, helps them to know the direction they're supposed to go. Um, so leadership is a creating 
kind of job. Research and development, sales, manufacturing, right? These are, uh, like sales creates relationships. It makes new relationships between companies, right? Manufacturing makes things, R&D again is a creative effort. Um, in maintain, you've got the operations group. Right? You've got management that keeps things running right, again. Um, administration, finance, right, keeps things running right, makes sure the money's coming in and out in, in a sensible way. And then restore, you've got customer service, right? When something goes wrong, you call customer service, they fix what's broken. Um, legal, the legal department, human resources, right? Again, this is just a sample. It's designed for you to think in categories like this because, again, these aren't just different ways to categorize work and jobs, but these are different ways that specific jobs image God. Okay, so I want you to do the same thing for your job. Fill in the blanks. My job creates, maintains, restores by fill in the blank. So just take a moment to do this, and then we'll talk about why this is so important. Okay, so why, why is this important to categorize your job? Is this just a party trick? So that I could ask any one of you right now and say, hey, tell me what you do. Oh, hey, did you see that you can, and here's how you categorize. I mean, is that the point? No, it's not. It's not. Doing this, this is the road to communion with God. Okay, if you want to know how your work can become communion, you need to be able to categorize your job and your work. This will help you commune with God. It'll actually make you better at work. Uh, this gives you a different view of the big picture of what your company and your job actually accomplishes. This gives you insight into what your company exists for. You see how your company is a reflection of God and what he actually does in the world. This can make you work positive. Right? We have this value of being city positive. Well, this will make you work positive. You'll realize that, you know what, I could be for this work. I can be for this because there's a purpose behind it. This actually imitates God. It can give you a positive outlook. Like this can actually restore um, and speak against some of the cynicism that's in all of us when it comes to the work that we do. I think this creates higher morale when you make these connections, gives you a better attitude, and it promotes excellence in your work. Because if God does this, it's worth doing. It's worth doing. It's worth doing well. Um, I think the biggest piece of this is that it increases your motivation to do your job because you understand that you are doing something that is imitating and imaging God. And when you make that connection, that's the beginning of communion. When you realize, oh, wow, God actually does this. This is where God does this thing, but I'm doing this as a way to, and it, it connects you. You're doing the same thing. I think this also dignifies your job. Because if your work is you imitating something God's doing in the world, if it's not too mundane for God to do, it's not too mundane for you. 
The biggest piece of this that I think is the most exciting for me is that if your job images God's work, then that means there is someone who genuinely understands what you do. There is someone who genuinely can identify with all of your experiences at work, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what this means is that at the end of the day, the end of a week, you can sit down and have a beer with God. I mean, think about the joy that comes when you sit down and have a drink with a friend, right? And you say, man, you would not believe the day that I had. If you, just sit, if you sit down with Jesus at the end of a day or at the end of a week, Jesus would look back at you and say, actually, I do. Let's talk. Jesus understands exactly, exactly what you go through. He knows exactly, he knows exactly what it's like to do your job. When you make these connections, because your job images God, your work in some ways will teach you what it's like to be him. Okay? If you are a teacher, and let's just say for hypothetical sake, I know this probably isn't true, let's say you have some difficulty with some of your students and they don't want to learn. And then you realize, wait a second, my job imitates God, images God. God also is a teacher. Has God ever had an experience where he's tried to teach some people something and they didn't want to learn? <laughs> Think about the power of having Jesus be able to look you in the eye at the end of the day and say, man, I'm sorry. I really know what this is like. This is the kind of thing that enables you to say, in the workplace, surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it. I think, too, through your job and through your company, you learn about God's heart to serve and renew the city and to provide for the world. Right? Teachers show us just how much God wants us to know about the world that he created. Right? Think about it that way. A, a director of payroll makes it really clear that God cares that we get compensated for our work. A real estate broker shows how much God cares about representing people and leading them through complicated and difficult transactions. Right, so you can just like think about, so what do I do, but what does my friend do? What is, what is my coworker, what, what are the jobs? And when you start thinking about this, you think, how does God do that? And wow, God thinks this is important. Like this is part of God maintaining and keeping things running right. I mean, again, this is communion. I want you to realize that God really does care about what you do because he does it too. And I think, too, when you understand this level, this role as an image of God, it'll bless your relationships with other people. Because you can share this idea with other people. If they're Christians, great. But you know what? Even if they're not Christians, to be able to help them know, I mean, everyone is made in God's image, whether or not they believe in Jesus. And so for you, for those of you who are here and aren't Christians, like, I don't know what you think about God. I don't know the spiritual journey that you're on. But the work that you do is a reflection of Jesus.
I mean, to say it a little bit differently, that Jesus is with you in the work that you do. Um, he's for you as you do your work well. I mean, that's good news, because most people who aren't Christians think God's mad at them. But Jesus says, you know what? I'm with you. I am with you. God wants us to deepen our relationship with him at work. Now, the challenge is that, um, I mean, I think these ideas are amazing. I think this is really inspiring, and this has changed my view of work considerably, and I've seen it happen for other people. The problem is that tomorrow morning, you're going to go to work, and it's not going to be like this, right? Tomorrow, you're going to go maybe with some inspired thoughts, and like, man, it's going to be different. You're going to show up, and it's, and it's ugh, the same old, same old, right? Well, the reason for that is because we don't just live in God's created world, but we also live in the midst of the fall. And that's the second thing we're going to see today. Um, that in creation, God created work for communion, but in the fall, we ignore God or we commune with sin. God has made work into this glorious opportunity for communion with him, where we can join him in the family business of filling and keeping and fixing the world so that life can be celebrated and enjoyed. That's God's creative design. But we never, ever think about this, do we? At work and in our work, we don't think about God. Most people have never thought before that their work is a chance to be the image of God. Oftentimes in the workplace, if we treat God like anything, we treat him like an ATM machine. Oh God, I really want this promotion. Oh God, please help me not get in trouble for this. Oh God, please work this out because I screwed, you know. I mean, we treat God like when we need something, we go running to him. But outside of that, I mean, that's not communion. That's us using God. And then worse yet, so often we work in ways that actually corrupt and vandalize the image of God. When we do our work poorly, we do our work sinfully in all these ways, we fall short of being an image of God at work. And these sins that we commit at work, they're also about communion. We're communing with something, but it's not God. I, mean, I want you to think about this. Um, the sins that we commit at work can deepen our communion with bitterness. They can deepen our communion with anger and hypocrisy and deceit. We vandalize ourselves as God's image. And as our relationship with our sin deepens and increases, it affects who we are. And either we become more bitter, more angry person in general, or we bifurcate our lives and we think it's healthy to act of one way at work and another way somewhere else. You can ask yourself this question, um, what is the image of God that other people get by watching you at work? What would they conclude God is like? Would they get the impression that God doesn't care about work? Would they get the impression that God, that quality doesn't matter? Ask yourself that question. In what ways do you present an image? Is it an accurate image? And listen, I get it. Like, I know this isn't easy because it's not just sin from within, okay? We contribute 
to the sinfulness of our workplace. But it's not just us that corrupt the image of God through our own sin. Um, For all of us, there are powerful influences on us at work that don't image God. Right? We're not the only ones um, that struggle. Like, there are it's really difficult when the authority above you is a corrupted image of God, isn't it? I mean, it's really difficult when the people who work for you are corrupted images of God. Now, I want you to know, I mean, the point to talk about this is to give us a chance to, to acknowledge that this is where the struggle comes from. It's sin. It's our sin. It's the sin of others that corrupts the workplace. And I want you to know these layers of the gospel so deeply so that you would respond to these layers when they come the way God does. Right? Think about it. How does God respond to the fall? What makes him sad? God's heart towards sin. God mourns over sin. And then God is angry with those who hurt others. But God is also committed to help. God is committed to help. It's the fall that moved God actually to enter into the world in Jesus and to bring the next layer of the gospel story. Think about this. The next layer is redemption. Right? That Jesus images redeeming love. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Okay, we can't see God. He doesn't have a body. God is a spirit. And yet Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians 2 says that in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Jesus is the image of God living on earth. If you want to know what God is like, the Bible says, look at Jesus. And so what does Jesus reveal God to be like? Just think about the story of Jesus. Humble. A servant. Someone who identifies not with the proud, not with the arrogant, but opposes the proud and the arrogant, opposes the hypocrites, calls them to task, and identifies with the honest, the lowly people who don't think that they are all that, people who don't have their life together. Jesus said, if you think you're a spiritual zero, you are blessed. He's like, you're one of my people if you recognize that you are spiritually poor. You're the one I've come for. If you mourn over your sin, then I'm with you. If you are humble, then I am with you. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness then I am on your side. And so Jesus comes as this incredible servant. He came not to be served, but he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He did have strong authority. He did confront sin. He confronted hypocrisy. He confronted judgmental people. He called us who are far away from God to come back. But the one who confronted us, the one who still confronts us, is the one who went to the cross and gave his life. And so we see in Jesus, yes, the perfect image of God. 
We see in Jesus someone who created tables, right? He was a carpenter. He made new things out of wood. He imaged God, right? Maybe he was a maintainer. You bring your broken table to him and he, well, that's a restorer, right? He fixes broken tables, right? Maybe if you brought it to him, he could give you a new sand. He could sand it down and finish it again for you. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm just, you know, Jesus was a, he had a perfect life. And for 17 years, presumably, he worked as a carpenter. But the one who confronted us, the one who brought the judgment of God to bear on us, is the one who went to the cross to show us that the God who judges is the God who saves. That the way that God responds to the fall, the way that God responds to your sin and mine, is with redeeming love. Jesus went to the cross so that he could say to you, it is finished. You are forgiven. And the reason that we confess our sins every morning, every Sunday morning, is because we want you to know that the first word from God's mouth to us, after he calls us into his presence, is that you're forgiven and you're accepted by him. All of your work sins, Jesus took them on the cross. God didn't just do the work of redemption. He is the Redeemer. He is the Redeemer. And it is so important, it is so crucial that you understand that redemption is God's response to the fall. Redemption is how God responds when the world walks away from him when the world tells him to go to hell because we don't want to hear what you have to say. Redemption is God's response to a world that is broken, that is sinful. God responded by coming. It's redeeming love that is willing to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Friends, this is why the gospel is good news. It's not just good advice. The gospel is what God did in Jesus way before it's what God is asking you to be as Christians. Okay, it starts with redemption. It starts with how Jesus responds to your fallenness with his love, his care, his understanding and forgiveness. And if today you don't have his forgiveness, if you're here today and you haven't got the, receive, the, 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 the renewing, the forgiving love of Jesus, Confess your sins to him. Confess your sins, and he will forgive you. When that happens, we are changed. When that happens, nothing is the same. Because there's so much stuff that's in us, that there's so much of the fall that comes out of us because we feel like we need something that we don't have. Right? We need to be in control. And so we are brutal to other people in the workplace, right? We need to have approval of our boss. And so we'll cut corners, we'll lie, we'll do things to make ourselves look better than we really are. So we'll have his or her approval and that'll make us feel good about ourselves. When you come to Jesus with all of your junk, when you come to Jesus with all of your sin and you receive his forgiveness, you don't need that stuff anymore from anyone else. And that transforms us. That brings our fourth and final point, which is renewal. Renewal. Because what happens then, 
after you have been redeemed, you experience renewal. And with renewal, communion means that you display Jesus. That you display Jesus. What the gospel does is it means that your work isn't just imitating this God who's up in heaven, who creates, who maintains, and who restores. But when Jesus has gripped your heart, when you've been loved by Jesus, all of a sudden now, you're not just displaying the God who's out there, but you're displaying the God who came. If you've received his love, the love of Jesus gives you power. When you recognize that Jesus' forgiveness changes you, it gives you a strength so that you can walk into your workplace and you can respond to the fall with the love and the forgiveness and the grace that you have received from Jesus. I mean, this is why we have to understand the gospel. This is why we have to see Jesus not just dying for the world, but dying for us, dying for you, loving you. Because when you see that, you realize, wow, if, they, if I'm bringing this fallenness to him and this is how he's responding, that love is now in you. And so you now have a chance to say, you know what? This sin is not stronger than Jesus' love. This rudeness is not stronger than Jesus' love. This over-controlling boss is not stronger than Jesus' love. Right? All of the fallenness of the workplace. Again, this doesn't change the fact that it's difficult. Okay? This doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. This doesn't mean that you don't suffer in the workplace. What it does mean, though, is that when you suffer, you see Jesus saying to you, look, here's your cross. Wear it. Carry it with you me. Like you have to understand, like we go back to the cross and we realize Jesus has forgiven us of so much more than this. And he gives us his love. He gives us his forgiveness. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. And it's as we commune with Jesus, as we receive again and again and again his love, his, his, his care, his understanding, we begin to realize how God is calling us to respond to the fallenness in the workplace. And when that happens, man, when that happens, everything changes. You have a strength, you have a love, you have a vision that can respond to people who hurt you and actually display Jesus you can display the renewing, forgiving love. And this is where, again, this is where the gospel shines through. There's one um, biblical example of this from Acts chapter 5. Um, the authorities capture the apostles. They threaten them. They beat them, they tortured them, they told them they better shut up about Jesus, and then they went out and preached anyways. Um, and it says in Acts chapter 5, um, it says 
they were like, what's going on here? What's going on here? And they realized, oh, wait a second. <laughs> the one way that they describe these people, they describe these, these early followers of Jesus, was it said, oh, they knew when they saw these people that they had been with Jesus. They could see in the strength, the strength of Jesus. They could see in the willingness to endure suffering and keep going, uh, the endurance of Jesus. Um, before we got a chance to video Jemima um, for, for her testimony, um, it was after the first sermon in this series, and she came up to me afterwards and she said, hey, I'm really excited because, um, I'm really excited about this series because I really do want to understand like what work it is that God is going to have me do. And I said, well, we're actually going to talk more about the work that you're already doing, not necessarily give you a vision for what God may call you to next, but really to look more at what you do do. And she's like, well, I kind of struggle with that because I really don't feel like I do anything worth value. And I know Jemima's story. I know a lot of you know her daughter, Willow. And I just, like... I just, it just hit me. I was like, Jemima, like, do you realize what it is that you do? And she said, well, yeah, I know what I do. And I said, do you realize that you care for all of her needs? Do you realize that you feed her, you clothe her, you bathe her, you take her to the bathroom, you dress her, you change her. She can do nothing apart from you. And it just started to hit her. It was like the spirit descended on her and she realized, oh my God, my God. She recognized in that moment that for all of this time, for all of this time, Jesus was there with her. For all of this time, like you could ask Willow whatever you want about Jesus, and I could tell you that what Willow knows deep in her soul is true about God is what she has received from Jemima. That's like, Jemima, you are the image of God your daughter. Your work is so significant. Your work brings renewal because there are so many reasons why people would bolt. There are so many reasons why people would have the attitude, the bitterness, and the frustration, and yet you continue to love and to serve. You're not perfect. I get it. None of us are. And it was just such an amazing, like right there in that moment, in that conversation, there was renewal because she now was communing with God. That's my heart for every one of you. I hope that you can get this. If you're struggling to make the connections for yourself, ask someone else. Have this conversation out loud. Don't be by yourself here. Figure this out so that tomorrow, so that tomorrow when you go to work, you'll go with God. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful to you. Thank you for making us in your image. Thank you that there is this glorious vision for what our work is and that it reflects you. 
would you help us? I think that our biggest struggle is that there is so much of the fall in our hearts and in our workplace. And those things just sort of crowd out. The volume is so loud on the fall that it just drowns out all of this glory so often for us. And so would you help us, Jesus? Would you help us come to you and come to the cross with our fallenness, with the fallenness even of our workplace, so that you can take it and die for it again, so that we can remember that you have died for it? And then, Jesus, would you turn the volume up on our redemption and our renewal? so that we would know that you've made us different. This work of restoring and fixing what's broken has begun in our hearts. It's begun in us. Help us to bring that renewal into our workplace tomorrow. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this amazing truth. And I pray that as a community of people, as brothers and sisters trying to do this and figure this stuff out together, that you would help us to encourage each other to show each other that we can see things that sometimes others can't see for themselves. Renew in our hearts this understanding of work so that we would see you in the workplace, so that we would know that surely, God, you are in this place. Amen.